You're listening to a Comics XF podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. I'm Adam, and this is normally your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every X-Men story from A to Z, but this week I was at New York Comic Con. So today you're going to hear my interviews with Wolverine and X-Force writer Ben Percy, X-Men Unlimited and Deadpool 7 Slaughters artist Philip Seavey, Jean Grey artist Bernard Chang, Excalibur, X-Corp, Knights of X, and Captain Britain scribe Teeny Howard. Immortal X-Men and Fall of the House of X announced artist Lucas Wernick. And X-Men artist extraordinaire Joshua Kassara. New York Comic Con is always crowded, so please excuse any of the background noise. And I will catch up with you at the end of the episode. All right. I'm here with uh, Wolverine and X-Force scribe Ben Percy. Ben. How's your weekend going? So far, so good. Just got in last night, so I'm on the show floor for the first time and taking in the 200,000 nerds all around me. (laughs) It definitely seems a lot more crowded this morning than it did yesterday. Um, Are you ready for this kind of humanity push? (laughs) I like to be behind the booth more than walking the floor. I get a little claustrophobic. Uh, and sweaty, oh, yeah. and I might, you know, go into a berserker rage if I get trapped behind a bunch of slow people. <laughs> so, from what we're seeing from prom- promotional materials, it looks like the Krakoa era is winding down. You have had the absolute delight of writing Wolverine and X Force throughout this entire thing. Are your Are you anticipating that? the ongoing kind of longer arcs of those storylines are going to wrap up with this era? Or do you see these books as kind of just going on and on and on? Uh, Well, I don't know what I'm allowed to say in regard to that question. I will say that uh, to write the X-Men at any point would be amazing. But to write during this Krakoan era and to be a definitive part of uh, constructing those narratives and character arcs has been just a total joy and a privilege. And I hope that this Krakow and Eric goes down uh, as as one of the more sort of notable chapters in X history. I I can't imagine that it won't. I think the quality, like you know, is is depending on what you're looking at, is kind of like um, mainly remained fairly high. You know, so one of the things that you've been doing right now in X Force is finally wrapping up what feels like the culmination of the Colossus storyline with the, uh, the writer, the narrator. Yeah, the Chronicler. The Chronicler, thank you. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about the last issue that I read was, do you see yourself in the character of the Chronicler <laughs> in terms of being a writer and, you know, kind of, the Chronicler seems like he's also feeling a little bit of anxiety about sort of where he's at in the writing process. How does that like sit with you as you're writing that character? That's an interesting question. Uh, You know, I would say that every character has a bit of me in it. That's part of the experience of writing. It's almost theatrical, where I'm thinking about how would this person stand? uh, What sort of clothes would they wear? How would they say this? And so on. In the case of the Chronicler, I'm able to do something interesting. There's never been really a mutant with this power before. 
And I thought it would be, you know, it's been seeded from the very beginning of X-Force, this long, slow reveal of this character who can bend the world around his writing. But he has to have a muse, and so Colossus is his muse. And I think that there are certain things about that character that, you know, can be relatable to any writer, where, you know, sometimes you're trapped in a contract, or you're trapped by deadlines, Uh or you're pushed... Uh, by editors or publishers in a certain direction that you're resentful of, and and so there, you know he is under the thrall of Mikhail and doing Mikhail's bidding, uh, and and he you know resents that, but he's also producing what he recognizes is his greatest work, uh, and he was sort of like this you know notable writer beforehand, but subject to you know his alcoholic tendencies and laziness and everything else and so like with a gun almost literally to his head like he's been forced to write this story but uh it's sort of like a transcendent work uh that he's ultimately you know wants to in tension with mikhail take control of in the end i i think it's a really interesting concept and it's really fun to see you develop that over time. I think the other thing that's been a real slow burn that came to a head within this last year is what you've been doing with Beast. Um, I think many of us in the Comics XF Slack really, like, our heads exploded when the X-Force base got up and walked away. How long have you had sort of your end game for that character in your head? Has this been from the beginning, from or the is very it beginning. Yeah. from the very beginning? Uh, I know I have novelistic tendencies, yep. and I always know my end when I begin anything. So in this case, I mean, sometimes with comics, things get cut short. Thankfully, in this case, I've been given the runway I need. And I wanted there to be a kind of heat dynamic between uh, uh, Wolverine and, and Beast from the very beginning. And, you know, you see that play out in different ways. They're diver- the way they diverge, the way that they're hunting each other, the way they sit down in that restaurant and have a meal together in this, like, moment of uneasy truce. And so their collision has been planned from the very get-go. And Beast has a code. I mean, you can call him a villain, but he has a code. And the code is in favor of mutant kind. It's the greatest good for the greatest number of mutants. It's utilitarian to its core. And so no matter what war crimes he's committing, he's ultimately doing so for the mutants. Um, And so Wolverine recognizes this. He recognizes, I mean, there's a recognition too that every good villain thinks that they're the hero. That's that's the case with Beast. So we'll see where those two end up at the end of their storylines. I'm very interested because Beast has such like a varied history through his mutations. Um, You know, I'm thinking about uh, Morrison and Silvestri's kind of sublime version of White Beast in the end. I'm thinking of kind of the all-new X-Men version where he's like more of a sorcerer. You know, there's so much you could do with that with that character. Do you see him as still part of the X-Men or do you see him as more of a supervillain moving forward? Well, you just look at the dynamics on the island. Here you have Apocalypse, you know, as an advocate, an ally. Here you have Magneto sitting on the Quiet Council and Emma Frost and like... So you took all of these so-called villains off the table. Uh, I saw an opportunity for others to potentially rise up as, uh, you know, complicated frenemies at first and then ultimately, you know, somebody who's diverged entirely from the unit of X-Force and and, and is at war with them, Uh, war of ideas. So, you know, I 
don't see him. I don't. He doesn't think of himself as a supervillain. Just to repeat that, he thinks of himself as a superhero. He thinks in the long run that people will look down back on his actions and think that he was right. Okay. So you know, you see like. You see those shirts where it's like yeah, Magneto was, right. was right or Killmonger <laughs> was right, and 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 we'll see if any Beast is right. Tease end up on the show floor. Amazing. So um, Ben, I know that comics is not all that you do. I'm looking down at some of your novels here. Um, you want to just promote what the most recent one is, yeah, so that people so know. Good. I have this uh, series called the Comet Cycle. Yep. And it's essentially my attempt to create my own Marvel or DC universe. It's my own sandbox. It's infinitely generative. Uh, the latest book is The Sky Vault. That doesn't mean it's it's book three, but you can read them in any order. Yes. Just like you can pick up Wonder Woman and Batman and Superman. It's a shared universe. Shared universe situation. Right? So Sky Vault has to do with some mysterious weather phenomena in uh, Fairbanks, Alaska. People are seeing things in the clouds. They're hearing things in the radio waves. Uh, a plane disappears for a minute in the skies over Fairbanks. And there are a lot of people trying to figure out what is going on. And it all traces back to a World War II laboratory that's present there that is simultaneously occurring with the Manhattan Project. It's called the Alaska Project. Nice. My co-host just, uh, you know, Zach, he just uh, read this. He loved it. He thought it was really great. So um, I hope you have a great weekend. Thank great. you so much Thank for you. taking a couple minutes. And uh, enjoy the con. Yeah. Take care, everybody. Okay, I am here with Philip Seavey. Uh, Phil, how's your con going so far? Uh, so far, so good. It's uh, only Thursday morning, I think, and it's been really crazy busy. <laughs> Are you getting a lot of people stopping at the table, checking out your stuff? Yeah, I just put out art for Deadpool 7 Slaughters, which I did a short story in. Um, it's out in a few weeks, and I've had people buying pages, like, right off the bat. So That's really great, because... <laughs> uh, Seven Slaughters is multiple stories? What's, what's the pitch for that book? Yeah, so it's a big anthology book that is a week in the life of Deadpool. So each creative team took a day. Oh, okay. And I got to work with Cullen Bunn on a story where we kind of bounce, out, bounce around all the multiverse of Deadpool. That's really great. So you have had the opportunity to work on a few different X projects over the last couple of years. Um, what, what has been your favorite? That I've worked on yeah, X-Men-wise? Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. So the first story I did in X-Men Unlimited, I got to work with Torin Groenbeck, and Torin's amazing, and it was a hope story, and yes. my favorite X-Men is Cable. Uh-huh. So I emailed her. We had never met before. This is my first Marvel gig, and I had just the audacity to be like, is there a way to put Cable in this story? Uh, and she was amazing, and she was like, yeah, I'll find a way to put him in, and the way she worked him in was just really fantastic and really kind of a great emotional like climax and cathartic moment for the two of them, so... I don't know if that's like the favorite thing I've worked on, but that moment, that was really special to do that. I, that's not the only Unlimited story you did, um, but there's another one I want to talk to you about, but yeah. I did want to ask because we've talked to Declan Shalvey, who kind of started X-Men Unlimited with Hickman, about the challenges of that vertical for- format, yeah. and I was curious, what did you find it challenging? Are there things that you found invigorating about incorporating that format? Yeah, I really, I really enjoy that format because of the uniqueness of it. Uh, I did a little bit of work for Webtoon back in the day. Oh, okay. And I've had some friends who've done some really long-running Webtoons. And, like, they would come over to my house and be drawing, and I'd be watching over their shoulder to see, like, oh, okay, here's a way you can incorporate, uh, you know, the motion of reading downward into your storytelling. So right from the bat, I was just trying to think of ways to take sometimes... 
instead of cutting between panels for different beats, if there's a way to create a single image, so your cuts essentially happen as you scroll down. So whether it's someone fighting through a crowd of people, or a pan down a building, or other things like that, what is a way we can use the way the format works to change the storytelling? And it's been a real fun challenge. Yeah, one of the things Declan talked to us about was the idea of not only thinking about it in terms of the vertical format, but also maybe how it could be reprinted later. Is that also something that's going through your mind as you're, you know, I'm, I'm sitting next to your portfolio here where you're selling pages. Is that something else that's going through your mind as you're working in that format? Yeah, so for most of the stuff I've done for Unlimited, I wasn't too concerned about that. I'm working on some excellent Unlimited again right now, which... I don't know when it will be announced, but it'll be out in a couple months. And with that, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this traditionally. So when I lay out my pages, I am laying them out to work as a traditional page and laying them out to work as a vertical scrolling comic. So it's almost like a little bit of double work, but sometimes I'm a crazy man and it felt like a fun challenge that also gives me original art to sell at the same time. Yeah, I feel like that aftermarket thing is kind of an important part of the process, right? Yeah, it is. I'm coming to find out more and more. Like, that's a large, can be a large source of income, so. So are you bouncing back and forth between doing digital and traditional, you know, I'm, the, the stuff I'm looking at here, I'm assuming, is traditional is. Uh, pencils with, with ink over it? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I've pretty much been all digital for a couple of years now. Um, and then when I got offered this uh, Deadpool story, I was like, you know what? I read Colin's script and it was large splash pages and big images of really cool stuff. I was like, I'm going to do these traditionally. So I just, I picked up a, you know, a pen for the first time in two years and prayed that it worked and it still did. So since then I've started to, to, to transition all of my Marvel stuff to uh, traditional. So I'll have the originals. I think that's fantastic. I did want to ask you about the other unlimited story that I really am fond of, um, which is the one that has Marrow in it. Yes. Uh, Marrow is one of my favorite characters, and the way you depicted Marrow, I think, was very unique. Marrow has had so many different iterations over the years, whether it be Chris Pachalo or what Joe Mad did with the character, all the way up through right now. I think, I don't know, who the, I forget who the artist is doing Realm of X, but some people approach her more as sort of a beautiful princess, some as an ugly Morlock. Yeah. Where was your head at in depicting that character? Yeah, so we were kind of taking cues that um, Jerry and uh, Stefano Casilli had dropped when they did their Marauder story with Mero. So I was just looking at the way Stefano designed her and then kind of adding my own spin to it. I'm, I think my work is a little bit more angular and jagged than the really kind of smooth work that Stefano does. So I was just finding kind of that aggression in Mero, but not necessarily embracing like full angry bone monster that I've seen her depicted before, so. Okay, so you said you got some more Unlimited coming up. Yep. You've got this Deadpool book coming out. Um, what is like the dream if you could work on just any X project whatsoever? Is there something that like you're constantly maybe going to editorial about and saying, hey, if, you know, if, if there was this, I'd love to do it? <laughs> um, I think something with Cable or X-Force would probably be my dream. Uh, that's kind of, I mean, he's my favorite character. And because I grew up reading comics in the 90s, X-Men comics specifically, and as a kid, you're reading Cable's entire history and you're like, comics can be anything. And yeah. it's insane and it's so exciting and so fun. So I've always kind of had a soft spot for him. So something like that would probably be a project. But just getting to work on the X-Men, starting kind of my first thing at Marvel being X-Men, it's my favorite comic. It's what made me want to draw a comic. So it's kind of a dream gig regardless of who I'm drawing. I think that's fantastic. And, and congratulations. I mean, it's really exciting. Um, are there any other projects that we could, you know, help... Uh you know, promote for you? What, what else you got going on? Um, you know, those are the main things. Uh, some of the other stuff I'm working on on the side hasn't been announced yet. But yeah, I, I did 
an Edge of Venomverse series with uh, Clay Chapman and Jay Holtham. And um, yeah, then there was the X-Men stuff. There's a there's another Marvel Unlimited project that I did over the summer that hasn't come out yet. So I'm okay. just, I'm like, every couple of days I'll Google to be like, when are they announcing this book? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, then I'm back in the X office now, and I'll be there for the next couple months. And when they announce what it is and kind of how it ties into everything, it's going to be really exciting. It's some fun stuff. Oh, it's really great. Phil, thank you so much for taking a couple minutes, and I hope you have an amazing con this weekend. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. All right, and I am here with Jean Grey, artist Bernard Chang. Bernard, how's your con going so far? Excellent, excellent. It's always good to be back in New York. Are you local, or is this uh, a far trip for you? Uh, I'm based in Los Angeles. So do you like New York Comic Con, or is this, like, not one of your favorite shows? New York is the mecca of comics, or at least it used to be. And um, I mean, I went to school here. I went to Pratt Institute in Brooklyn. Oh, okay. So New York was one of my first comic book conventions ever. That's really cool. So um, I have this uh, X-Men podcast, Battle the Atom. Um, on ComicsXF, our website, we've been reviewing Jean Grey. And, uh, you know, the art is fantastic. How did you get hooked up with doing this particular project? Uh, Marvel came out and asked uh, if I was interested in working uh, on another X-Men project. You know, a couple years ago, we uh, collaborated on uh, Children of the Atom. Yep. Um, and then when they said that, that Luis was going to be writing it, it was an instant yes. You know, so because Luis uh, Simonson was one of the writers that when I was collecting comics as a teenager, you know, I used to read all of her books. And so it's always a, how, how do you put it? I mean, you know, in comics as a professional, you get to work with a lot of different people, but it's also kind of a bucket list item where you get to work with creators that, you know, I grew up admiring. Um, so it's been a, but it's one of those projects that you really like. I know for myself, there was a lot of personal passion put into the putting into the project. It also feels like Wheezy is kind of bringing in a lot of her own memories of the books, and you know, you're, the issue hasn't come out yet, but you're about to get to the Inferno issue with uh, with Manny Pryor. That's actually one of the comics that Simonson worked on. How much are you going back to those original issues to get inspiration, or do you feel like you have the freedom kind of take it where you want to take it? Well, they provided me a lot of reading reference. Again, some of the stuff I had to go back. Some of the stuff I kind of skipped over or, or didn't read later on. Uh, I started working professionally at 20, so it was a period of time where then I just couldn't catch up with the, uh, the current timeline or storyline. Um, a lot of it was staying true to what Luis had envisioned. She's one of the quintessential Jean Grey writers. So uh, for myself as a storyteller, I want to be able to keep true to her initial intent um, while kind of translating what she wrote into more of a visual format. Um, now, you've had a li uh, obviously like a lot of visual freedom because we've seen the characters in some different costumes that we've never seen them in before. How does that design process work for you? Um, design is actually a lot of fun. I actually enjoy designing characters' costumes. Um, for the versions in the issue one and issue two, a lot of it was trying to pay homage to the previous original versions of the X-Men of Jean Grey. The second issue was more of a 
um, transition from the first issue, how that universe might look progressed into a se separate form. You know, looking back to her timeline, Jean Grey's timeline, going from work from Dave Cockrum uh, through John Byrne, you know, the... Um, the third issue kind of takes place, I think, more Silvestri was more involved in the X-Men at that point. And so there was also a progression, too, in the the style of the drawing, but also in the storytelling. And so, for me, the challenge was to pay respect to a lot of what was going on at that time, but then also coming at it with a little bit more of what I would do if I had the reins of the story at that time and also with the skill set that I have now. Um, you know, sometimes it, you want to stay true to the original fans, what they remember and cherish. Um, and it's, it's almost, it's, you know, you can never win everybody over. Um, and so for me, I really tried to put focus with Luis. And throughout this, you know, emailed her and asked her to make sure that she was okay with everything that was happening in terms of the stuff that I was drawing. So did you have the scripts for the entire mini already when you started working on it? Or was it one issue at a time and you're kind of getting surprised by where she's dropping things as you go? Well, there was a, I mean, before you start, there's an overall kind of like um, plot lines for what the whole arc is going to be about. Uh, and this, for this series, we actually worked in plot format, okay. which is like the old Marvel school style, which is a style that I prefer working in. You know, nowadays, most comic book scripts, or, I mean, there are scripts, are, you know, fully flushed out, panel to panel with all the dialogue written. Uh, whereas when I first started drawing back at Valiant, it was very much like a Marvel style, where you get a plot, a paragraph or so per page, maybe a little dialogue here or there, but it's a real collaborative effort. And I think that's what also, for me, in this Jean Grey project, was so um, idealized, is that we really got to work in that format and collaborate with Luis in producing the entire comic. I think that's so interesting to be using kind of like more of a Marvel house style with her scripting over your art as opposed to having it fully fledged, because that's, that's unusual for the, the current market. For the current market, yeah. And, and it was a, a great way, I think, it also for her to you know, flex her, flex her wings a little bit too to be able to kind of work in that format. And for me, also allowed me a little bit more freedom in terms of uh, paneling, um, pacing, tempo. And um, I'm glad that everything worked out great. You know, again, every time I turn in a few pages or at the end of every issue, um, I'm a little uh, hesitant. Because I want to make sure that, again... Hey, guys. We're, we're witnessing a beautiful toast here. <laughs> you know, again, staying true to, to her vision for the character. Because, again, Jean Grey is so tied to Louise. And she is so knowledgeable in that universe. That that's who, really, I was drawing the book for. I think that's really beautiful. Um, the last thing I want to ask you about, because I know you're busy is um, one of the things that we talked about behind the scenes when we got the uh, reader's copy of issue two was how, I believe the, the term that we threw around was yassified. 
Professor X looked. He just looked absolutely gorgeous. And I'm just curious, um, when you think about your style and bringing it to the characters, are you thinking about making everybody look hot? Or is that just an after effect of your style? Professor X actually was very difficult to draw. I mean, you think, you know, he's a bald guy. and uh, But there's so many different versions of Professor X, right? And then also now you have the movie versions. So you got Captain Picard sitting in the back of your head, right? How do you kind of... And there's younger versions and older versions. Usually when you're drawing a comic book, it takes two or three issues to get a hang of a character. Because yeah, the character doesn't show up in every page. Um, so Professor X, I mean, I'm, I'm glad, happy that you guys like Professor X. I was not satisfied with my version. Because um, I felt like I was still playing with him. He didn't appear enough. Even Magneto, I wish I had a little bit more time to kind of like flush out Magneto in the first issue. So, because I'm kind of going in between also, the version I like was a Jim Lee, Savage Land version, um, with the long flowing uh, hair. So, because earlier, earlier versions, he always had a helmet on a lot. Um, and then I also like drawing stubble on Magneto, because he has a, that contrast with Professor X, who's always very clean cut. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad people like it. I'm very much enjoying the book. I'm excited to read the next couple issues. Um, and thank you so much for taking a couple minutes today. Issue three, uh, very exciting. Issue four, even more so. There's, you know, again, it's just a pleasure for me to be able to work on these characters that I grew up admiring, adoring, collecting. Um, and hopefully I'm able to share a lot of that passion and love that I have for the craft with the readers. It's definitely coming across. So Bernard, thank you so much. Appreciate you taking a couple minutes. All right, I am here with Teeny Howard. Teeny, how is your con going so far? Really great, thanks. <laughs> um, when's the last time you were here at New York Comic Con? How many times have you been to this show? I've only been to this show a few times. This is maybe my third or fourth, which sounds crazy, but I guess when you work in comics, you go to some shows every year. Uh, I, I haven't been to the show a lot. I, you know, I, I live in LA now, so it's a it's a long haul to get out here. And so I definitely haven't been since before the pandemic. Um, but it's cool to be back. Definitely in a different place now than I was last time. So. Yeah. So I think we've checked in with you on the show um, throughout sort of this Krakoa era, and I think you know we're finally at a point where this era is wrapping up. Um, is it odd to? I want to phrase this correctly because I feel like the writer's room has gone from being fairly, I don't want to use the word diverse because I don't think it was ever that diverse to begin with, but it's gotten like pretty exclusively white male-y. Um, I'm wondering what your emotions are as this wraps up and you were a huge architect over the first couple of years of this line. How does it feel sort of looking at it from the outside? I mean, one of the cool things I can do now that I'm not working on it is enjoy it as a fan. I can, okay. you know, I can look at the, I can read things like X-Men Red and, and Immortal as, like you guys do, you know, I, I um, you know, I loved Dark X-Men. Like, I got to read it, like, before you got, you know, before the fans did, but still not until it was done. And, you know, getting uh, getting to be a part of it that way is, is fun and interesting, you know. It's, it doesn't feel like 
for one, you know, I, I'm on great terms with all of those people and everyone at Marvel. Um, you know, my uh, just scheduling issues are what made it. So I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to do other things now. But uh, it feels, you know, really cool. I feel like I built something with a lot of people that I love very much that I'm very proud of. And uh, those books are pieces of art that will always remain. Uh, and it's something I'm incredibly proud to have been a part of. And I think uh, it's cool to see what people do with ideas, some of which are things that I, you know, wanted to touch. And some of them are things I didn't get to. And some of them are just things I've wondered about. And I really respect and love, you know, the writers and the artists in the room right now. So it's, uh, I won't comment on the diversity, (laughs) but I'll say that. You don't uh, have to. Yeah, but but I think they're all kick-ass writers doing a kick-ass job. I know that was a heavy question. Yeah. So I I appreciate you doing uh, your best to answer that one. But the legacy of this era, I think, is going to be tied inextricably to the things that you brought to it. So what do you think your legacy is coming out of this from having worked on this line? Um, Geraldine, the Pop-Tart queen. She's definitely the most impactful character uh, that I brought to the Marvel Universe. And I think that we're going to continue to see ripples of her power uh, as we as we go on. No, I mean, obviously it's Captain Britain, right? Like, <laughs> So right now you are over at DC. We're doing Catwoman. What is the biggest difference between working with the X writers room and what it is that you're doing over there as part of the bat office? I, I really like working collaboratively with other people. Um, I'm not, you know, uh, uh, the kind of person that, that, you know, comes into the room and says, all right, I've got it. Don't touch it. And all the people I worked in the X office were like that. Um, and you know, like a lot of these people are my friends, like, you know, like John and Jerry and, and Ben and those guys, those are those are my friends. Chip, you know, Chip and, and Matt, those are my friends. Like, so it doesn't feel like a hugely, you know, different experience on that part. It feels like I went from the X office was really great at empowering me to know that I can do what feels like just natural brainstorming with my friends who are also who are just geniuses, you know, who are also writers and and, and incredible minds. Um, And I can brainstorm with them and we can come up with stuff and then we can make it a story. That's what I do with my, you know, the writers and the editors I work with at DC who are my friends. And that's what I do with, you know, uh, at Marvel. And when I say they're my friends, I don't mean that, like, we were all besties and that's why we get hired. I mean, like, I became friends with them. Like, I'm a creative person. My whole life I've been, ever since I was, you know, playing with Barbies and, and... you know, that I became a D&D nerd, like, creative, shared creative experiences are how I bond. So I go into these rooms a stranger and I come out with a bunch of best friends and that's, that's been the same most places I've gone. A lot of the books that you were working on as part of the X line were not the, like, biggest stars, right? Mm -hmm. Like Excalibur is an amazing book that I absolutely love and yet it's not like X-Men, right? Like when Ben Percy sits down to write X-Force and Wolverine, you know he's going to have a longer leash. When you get a chance to write a book like Catwoman 
right? Which is such a prestige character. Do you feel like you have a longer leash that you can tell longer stories that are going to last for, you know, a long... What, what I mean is, like, books are going to just run and run and run based on, like, the popularity of that character. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a real gift to... And a lot of that is, you know, um, editorial structure. Um, there's been a lot of like, I mean, Marvel fans have noticed there's been a lot of contraction of issue, like, like series lengths over the past few years. Um, uh, when I, it is, it is a really nice chance to, to stretch on an ongoing title. Um, and there, you know, it's a real honor to get one of those jobs. And yeah, it, it does feel different. But honestly, you know, writing Betsy um, through, you know, three different books felt like kind of practice for, you know, like that was the the longest leash I'd been given on the biggest stage I'd ever been given. Um, and so I really did a lot of like learning as I was going and I'm really grateful for it um, because I definitely take a lot of what I learned writing Betsy for so long uh, into writing Selena and writing Harley. I think that's really great. And I'm, I'm really excited that you get to continue to write these really powerful women characters, right? Like that's gotta be exciting too, right? I mean, a big thing about it is just that a lot of... They haven't very been very frequently written by women. This is so funny because I just did... I don't know if you heard about this. Rob Liefeld claimed that he draws the best Wolverine more than anybody in the world. I've never heard of that person. I don't know who that is. <laughs> okay. You know, and immediately I started making a list of, like, all these amazing artists. And someone immediately commented. They were like, these are all men. Don't they let women draw... Wolverine and the same is true for so many characters in both you know big two universes that women don't often get the chance to actually write them so what is exciting about that well I mean and I you know obviously like on Catwoman I had you know women like Joelle and there even before that there were women writing Catwoman so I don't want to act like I'm like the first but it's a sense of like when you're a woman, there's a lot of untread ground that you feel like you can write, you can, you can, you know, grow with because, you know, and it's, it's not a bad thing. It's like, it's not that like the men writing Selena don't want to like, like, you know, Ramzran was great, right? He writes a great Selena, but I, you know, I think when you're a man and you're writing a woman, often there's a, it's, it's very kind and they're thoughtful, but there's a sense of like, oh, I don't want to brutalize her on page. I don't want to put her through certain kinds of violence as a male writer, which is totally understandable. And I do not have that problem. I am writing a very real female experience in Catwoman. Like, what means a lot to me is when I have women readers are like, I punched the air at this line because I felt this way at work and no one's ever said it, you know? Um, the whole pitch of that run were like the women, the, the ignored women of Gotham who are actually very powerful. Um, so those are like, and it's things that come from like, oh, just being a woman and watching movies, you know, like watch, I, I'm a huge Martin Scorsese fan, watching, you know, movies like Goodfellas and Casino, where I was like, the women are the, the, the strong, powerful characters here, and the men have power, and the women attempt to exert it, and the narrative knows that it's wrong, that they have their legs cut out from under them. Um, and that was really important to me, was to like, do this feminine perspective where it's like, the narrative knows that the we, you and I are in an agreement where this world is hard if you're a woman, and this is the story about it. Um, Harley is a different kind of like feminine expression where 
I very much joke that Harley Quinn is about crazy girl rights and weird girl rights. And that book is just about me laughing at a lot of the bizarre things that pop into your head when you're a mentally ill woman living her best life. Um, and, you know, taking the anxieties that I have, and I know a lot of people share, I'm not unique in that, um, and making them something we can laugh about on the page together. And it does not hurt that it's Sweetie Boo drawing it, and it just looks like a just candy-colored dream. The art is absolutely gorgeous. So I am really glad that you're getting to, you know, take these characters in these directions. I think it's really, really exciting. Um, and just in general, you know, now that this era of, I mean, obviously we're an X-Men podcast, um, this X era is wrapping up. I just want to thank you because I think you were such like an integral part of it and it makes it so memorable because of your contributions to it. Thank you. That means a, a huge amount. I, I, I have such great memories of everything in the room. I mean, I just went to the Hellfire Gala at San Diego and party. I, I did notice your pin. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's, it's great. It's like, I, and I feel like, um, you know, I, again, like I said, creative experiences are how I bond with people. So I bonded really deeply with Jordan and John and, you know, Jerry and Ben with Marcus, the, you know, Excalibur artist, um, even, you know, with Annalise and Sarah, my editors, with Eric, our colorist, and Ariana Mar, who did our incredible letters. Um, like, I'm bonded with those people, you know? Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for it. I don't... I don't have a lot, I'm a very passionate person, but I'm pretty focused in my passions and like, I'm alive to do creative stuff. So I'm glad that I get to be here and do it. That's really great. One last question. Um, you met, you know, obviously we've been talking about some of your DC work. What else is uh, in store? What else can people be looking for um, as, as you go on to new chapters? Um, well, if you follow my Substack, uh, teenyhoward.substack.com, I have a creator-owned comic that I work on intermittently with now fellow X-Men artist Philip Seavey, if you've been reading X-Men Unlimited. We do a comic called Phenomenosity. There are three chapters, like 30 pages up. Um, it's a weird, it's a sci-fi noir about a girl investigating the death of her best friend in a city that's under a atmospheric event. No, so normal. Um, you can also uh, follow me there. That's where I'll be announcing upcoming projects. I'm working on a novel things like that uh, and I've got some things coming from DC that I uh, have not announced yet but there's some really exciting stuff in the hopper I'm working my ass off. and yeah working on an ongoing comic I'm still on Harley I'm still on Catwoman uh, we're in the middle of Gotham War go check it out I promised fighting and kissing and everyone's like where's the kissing and I'm like it's coming we're halfway through so <laughs> awesome alright Teeny, thank you so much for taking a couple minutes we really appreciate it thank you and I'm here with Lucas cool. Wernick. Lucas, how is your New York Comic Con going? Oh my God, it's amazing. Completely chaos, but amazing. Kind of surprised how crowded it is for a Thursday. I mean, this seems like uh, way more poor people than normal, right? Yeah, it's my first time here. Oh, okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's my first time uh, here at New York Comic Con. It's my first time in North America, so it's kind of doing. It's kind of be. Um, amazing experience. It's been like a dream come true being here. Now, how long have you been in New York? Are you making a, a vacation out of this? Or... Yes, yes. I'm I'm here for uh, now. Th that's my third day here, and I do it for uh, the whole week. So yeah, very excited to to see what the the does the city uh, like. I already I already uh, eat the, the the famous cheesecake. 
yes. from the the juniors something yep. place. I already do the 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 central the, the central park stuff and all the, the the very touristy stuff. But yeah, it's amazing. I'm so glad you're getting to experience all of that. <laughs> um, So, welcome to New York. Thank you. And, um, Lucas, you have been responsible for so many of the classic looks yes. of this era. Um, how do you go about coming up with an original design for what one of these characters is going to look like Look like in, let's say, a gala outfit or okay. a new uniform? How do you approach that? Uh, I think that the first thing is know the, know the character. It's not uh, uh, something about... Uh, about my about I am wearing it's about what the character wearing you know it's not about what I think it's about what it, the character thinks so okay. for example when I draw the when I make the the Colossus Hellfire Gala outfit uh, he's very proud to be a Russian yes. so I, I know that okay he's gonna need something from Russia something that remembers his his home so and uh, the, the touch of the, the magic here is being he him sexy he looks great it's a party so yeah that that's the the, the mindset that I have when I draw this kind of stuff now you've gone from kind of going from design all the way to doing now cover work, interiors. How has that evolved with your own art style? Yeah, in fact, start with the, the interiors, start with the pages, and after I start to make some uh, cover art, which is great because I have the control of the whole process. When me, uh, in my case, I do the, the inks, the pencilers, and the colors when I do the, the cover. So it's great. It's awesome for me as an artist. So, and, and when Marvel came, uh, started doing this kind of new projects with designs, it's, oh my God, yes! Yes, <laughs> because it's something that I really, really loved. I think that's really great. Um, we're seeing you being announced for some of these end of the Krakoan era yes. uh, projects. So, how does that feel? Oh my God, it's... it's uh, Oh my God, it's it's hard. <laughs> it's this feeling of uh, bittersweet kind of feeling because I really love what? Sorry. Sorry. Oh, it's okay. So it's this kind of bittersweet kind of feeling because I really love this era. Yes. Uh, Immortal X Men has been uh, a, such great uh, gift. Like uh, uh, working with Kieran Gillen is an honor, and it's a so it's, so, uh, it's a great comic art that we're doing together. And now working with Fall of X, it's kind of I, I can't say much, but it's it's big. It's it's something that yeah, very excited for it. Yes. Um, and I you know your work has been outstanding throughout. Thank you. So Thank congratulations you. on all of that. Um, just walk me through real quick your, your artistic process. You're doing traditional pencils, inks. Um, what are you using for colors? Do you ever do digital? Okay, usually it was everything is digital. Okay. Uh, so I make the pencils and the inks and sometimes the colors too. 
but in some cases, for example, in some cover art or that I have uh, more time to do it, I love to make the sketch digitally, uh, make the blue lines and make the, the inks uh, in, the, in a traditional way. Okay. And after, go back to the and make, make to the computer and make the the, the colors. But usually, it's, it's digital. Everything, yeah. So, be right before we started talking, okay. you had two cosplayers come over, yes. cosplaying your Iron Man and uh, White Frost. Queen look wedding looks. Yes. What is it like when people take what you do on the page and three dimensionalize oh it like that? It's the it's the best. Um, Honor uh, for an artist scene like the because it's like okay it works you know the the the, the reader really loved this and my my work uh, is worth it you know it's this kind of feeling it's kind of crazy too a lot of things that happen here I'm gonna need to talk to my therapist after this but it's is as I said before it's it's been an amazing 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 journey and I'm so glad to be here and that's awesome I am so excited that you get to be here and you get to see this you know actual physical manifestation yes, of your work that's yes. so it's got to be so cool so uh, congratulations thanks Thank for taking you. a couple minutes and um, is there anything else other than what you've been doing with the X-Books that you're working on that you want to promote? Uh, read X-Men. Read uh, Immortal X-Men. It's, it's been amazing. Uh, Fall of X is coming with a lot of great stuff. Okay. Hard stuff, but great. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm doing the new series from uh, Dead X-Men. I'm doing the, the cover. So the Dead X-Men group, I don't want to say as much to give spoilers, but it's great too. And yeah, that's a lot of coming, a lot of work with Marvel, and yeah, I can't say as much. <laughs> that's okay, that's okay. We're going to wait for the good stuff. Thank you so much. Thank Appreciate you. it. Thank you, thank you so much. All right, folks, I am here with X-Men artist extraordinaire, Joshua Kassara. Josh, you told me before I started recording that this is your first ever New York Comic Con. Is that true? This is, and it's the first time anybody called me extraordinary or extraordinaire. Yes, my first time ever, uh, not New York, but my first New York Comic Con. So it was my first, what, two hours of, and it's already been, uh, already a zoo. It is way more crowded here than I would have expected for a Thursday. Um, but it seems like there's a lot of people coming through. You're selling these absolutely beautiful enamel pins. Where did the idea for the pins come from? And, and how long have you been doing this now with the pins? Well, we did, um, originally I did a Happy Wolverine sketch. On my wife's side, it was like super cute. And she's like, let's make a sticker. And then it evolved into, let's make it into a pin. And then she's like, let's make a set of pins. And it's like, okay, well, what, what characters do you want to do? And I said, well, we, I designed the Mystique uh, Hellfire Gala outfit. And that was really popular. And so we said, let's do that. And we had it for San Diego Comic-Con originally. It wasn't going to be an exclusive. We just said we're going to order a set of pins and we're going to have them. And, uh, and then here in New York, we have, uh, we have uh, if you open uh, one and it's got a golden mystique, which then it's got the golden enamel, it's, uh, you get a prize. We've got uh, sketches. I've got an original page of X-Men art from, I think, issue 24. And uh, I don't know. People seem to love them. And I wear mine everywhere I go. Uh, that's fantastic. So 
I did call you extraordinaire for a reason. That's because you do seem to be the ex-artist of the moment. You know, if you look across the uh, the panel of artists that are in the the ex world right now, you're writing the the headline book. You know, and how does it feel to be part of like that pantheon of sort of X Men artist greats? It was super intimidating. Yeah, I mean, CB Savolsky called me, and when the editor in chief calls you, it's either you're in deep, deep doo-doo, or uh, I don't know if they could say on here, so you can bleep go that ahead, out. All right. Ahead. And uh, I either thought I was going to be in trouble or something cool is happening. And so he uh, said, hey, you know, you're, uh, Pepe's heading off on, uh, you know, other pastures, and uh, he's asking me if I wanted to jump on the X-Men. And so immediately I'm just going through in my head everybody who's drawn the X-Men that I grew up loving. You know, I mean, I, I came of age, it's uh, Jim Lee X-Men, of course. But I love Mark Silvestri and uh, Chris Bacalo and Frank Quietly, Pepe Larraz. I have to follow that, you know. You know, good luck with that. But and then at the same time, I had to be like, just get psyched up and, hey, I'm just going to do the way I do it, you know. And it's it's pretty awesome. I, I already loved drawing the mutants. I was so stoked to come on and do X-Force during the Kirk Cohen era. And, I mean, now I'm on X-Men, I'm going to be happier. So when you started on X-Force, you've got... Um a very, a, I want to say almost organic style to what it is that you're doing. Um, a lot of vines, a yeah. lot of, you're on the island a lot, yeah. a lot of leaves and things like that. It's okay. Um, I feel like what Jerry's had you do on X-Men has kind of pulled your art in different ways. Yeah. You know, you've had to draw in sort of a different style than what it was that you were doing on X-Force. What has that change been like for you artistically? I mean, a little bit. You know, we're on Krakoa, so, like, everything is kind of that techno-organic ba- or base, you know, with, like, forges, what, the, the things that he's making and designing and creating. So it's not that much difference. I mean, I, I think some of the settings are a little bit different. What Ben and I did, yeah, there's, you know, like, the plant monster thing. I didn't really draw plant monster kind of stuff before I did it, but, you know, this is the kind of things that he was writing, and, and I think it, we melded really well, and I just kind of leaned right into it, and I love now I love drawing it, and so I think Ben just kept leaning harder and harder into it because he's like, oh, this looks awesome too. Let's keep going along there, and I, I love doing it. So um, I think, you know, Jerry's like, but, you know, I'm going to have to draw a space station this time, you know, but, like, it's really nice to draw something, like, cold and sterile like a space station or a... Or a um, thinking like the inside of the children of the vault yeah well that's something stuff too like yeah that, something you know? yeah something a little bit like that a little it's the, the just the the futuristic you know uh architecture and things like that or that's also fun because it's a it's a break from what i'm drawing it also shows there's some contrast because if i draw everything like super organic-y and whatever like you know again contrast is always good to show what you can do i think um one of the things that you're known for is having a, a fairly detailed s- style. You know, there there's a lot of uh, line work on the page. It's not just contours. You're showcasing the surface of objects, people, muscles. Um, you're also doing that with ink washes. Yeah. Um, how does that work when you have a time constraint and you've got to get a book in on time? So this is just a really long way of saying I'm just a really slow artist. Um, it's it's tough. It's it's you know the the gray washes are definitely an extra that doesn't need to happen. Um, I could turn in the stuff without it. It's something that I like. I like to let it go and look. If this if any of the stuff I do comes out as a uh, it's released as a black and white book, 
I that's kind of the way I let it go. I, like I always want it to look like it'll go as a black and white, and I want it to read really well. I don't like to leave so much up to the colorists. Some artists do. I kind of like to have a little more control on the textures or the look or filling up the page with some of the grays or some of the textures and details. I should get away from that. Sometimes I do. And under deadline, you do. Like, maybe I'm not going to draw a background in that panel. And you got to decide, storytelling-wise, if that's a smart decision or not. But I don't ever like to have a page that looks like it's mailed in. Like, maybe I might mess up on some anatomy or a nose or it's just a bad drawing. But I never want it to look like I just mailed it in. Like, right. I always want to put the effort in. So, you know, the, the editors are pretty good about knowing what my schedule is and I'm, you got to be honest with them about what you can do and they're pretty real give me some a little bit of breaks on like you know hey maybe it takes me a little bit longer you know give me another couple days you know so but at the end of the day I got my publishing deadlines and don't agree to it if I can't do it so I'm, I think I'm I don't think they've ever had to halt print <laughs> for anything I've drawn that's good. I just know there's got to be time constraints because, you know, you, your work has such beautiful detail to it. So, you know, um, so we are coming to what appears to be kind of the end of the Krakoan era. Um, is X-Men still where you think you want to be artistically or do you think there's sort of new adventures for you ahead, either at Marvel or elsewhere? Well, I mean, well, I'm exclusive with Marvel for a while still. So, I mean, I'm going to be I I. I honestly don't know where I am after Fall of X. I know where it's going. Actually, I was just talking to Jerry, my, the writer of the X-Men, just a few minutes ago, and he had like, some really awesome scenes that he knows that he's wanting me to draw as far as we're working, making out the schedule in these last issues, and I'm super pumped now. And it kind of reinvigorates me. For the end, I don't know where I land after Fall of X. I love being in Mutantville, if you want to call it that. Um, the fans are awesome. There's a fan for every mutant. They will let you know because if, even if you draw them in the background for like one panel <laughs> and don't have any spe- speaking part or anything, they will message you and say, thank you so much. You just made my year. So I love you guys. Uh, and I love, I, but, but that's a fun thing with the X-Men. And I, a fun thing about the Krakoan era too is we've gotten so many from all these different eras and all the villains and all these things that you're getting to draw and the writers are able to get to play with. And I think as an artist, I get to play with too. So it's a lot of fun. I, and now I'm used to drawing like team books. It's really hard because you, I'm not. I don't feel very comfortable drawing most of these characters because I haven't drawn them enough. Sure. Um, if you're doing like you know only like a Spider-Man book, yeah, you have other villains, but you're always drawing that same character all the time. I would like to draw a single character book sometime. Maybe I can be comfortable and consistent with the, with the character. But I love actually the next issue is a new mutant. Maybe I've never even heard of sometimes. Or, oh, I've always seen that character, and now I actually get to draw him. Excuse me. You know, like right now I'm looking at an open page of Quentin Quire and I had never drawn Quentin Quire until I was on X-Force and all of a sudden I'm drawing him and I, now I'm in love. Like, I, I love drawing him. He's such a quirky, fun character. Uh, he's such a little jerk and a little turd, <laughs> but also but the way Ben wrote him, he has, he has quite a bit of heart, you know. And that was a lot of fun. And I just, you know, and now I'm on the X-Men and, and you know, I've, although we did bring Forge over, but now I get to do... I got to do Laura and, you know, actually Jean Grey again, but I got to do Scott. Scott in his 90s uniform because, again, I'm 13-year-old me wants to draw Scott in his 90s uniform. Well, and that's the Krakoan law, right? Uh, they started off by saying if you wanted to draw somebody in a certain costume, you were allowed to, right? Yeah, because Jonathan Hickman said, like, nobody just wears the same clothes every day, yep. you know, and you can wear your different outfits, you know, from whatever era, and that's brilliant and awesome, especially for the artists because, like, I, it's great because the editors can't really say no, and I'm like, I want to draw them in this, and they're like, okay. You know, I don't think anybody likes it. I'm like, yeah, but I do. 
All right, last question. You were having a conversation just before we started talking with a, a lovely couple, and one of the things you mentioned was that before you were doing this, you were bartending? Yeah. So how has that been for you to go from, you know, just kind of plucking away behind a bar to putting in the work and putting in the hours to get to the level that you're at right now? So I went from the most sociable job to the least sociable job. <laughs> okay. Where... It's now, I mean, now at conventions, I'm just starting conventions. I actually talk to human, other human beings, but I'm usually just in a hole drawing all day. And I mean, I was able to incorporate some bartending stuff. I drew the Green Lagoon and, and wanted to always incorporate that. And, you know, somebody's got to have a drink in their hand somewhere in the background. So I, I married the two together at some point. But I, I love this. I get to create more. I get to tell stories. And this is the stories that I loved as a kid. And so I, I bartended. It was always my job. It was never like a career or anything like that. It was, it was how I paid my bills. And this, you know, I found what I, I really love to do creatively. Josh, I hope you have an amazing first New York Comic Con. Thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes today. Cheers, Adam. I appreciate it, man. Right. Thanks. And that does it for this year's New York Comic Con Super Special. Hope you enjoyed hearing from some of our favorite comics creators. As always, you can follow me on social at Adam Reck on Blue Sky, uh, whatever Twitter is at Arthur Stacy, and on Instagram at Adam Reck. Next week, we are celebrating the spooky season with our annual Halloween episode. Will lots of characters go to hell? Tune in to find out. Until then, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survive the experience.